couple of years ago, I was asked to bring a message at our prayer meeting when the young people were at our youth camp. Uh, this year, uh, my boys went to the youth camp for the first time. They'd never gone before, I think, mainly because not many people from our church went. But uh, this past year, I think a good dozen or so of the kids went from our church. And so my boys went and it's the first time really that they were away from us and a whole lot of new firsts uh, took place that week. Uh, but two years ago, I was asked to give the prayer meeting message because Armin was away. He goes to the youth camp and uh, they must have absolutely scraped rock bottom to ask me to preach, to fill uh, the, the pulpit during the, the prayer meeting. And uh, I was burdened then. It's, it's always a good time to give a message either about the minister, a, pra- a pastor, when he's away, or in this case, the young people. And uh, I was led to this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 to give an exhortation to the parents or the grandparents or the uncles, whomever was there that had young people uh, in their lives and for whom they've been praying, uh, to give them an exhortation from this passage concerning the path forward for our children in an evil day, the path forward for our children in an evil day. Uh, Maybe it's because I'm getting older, I don't know. I think you tend to think more soberly when you get a little older, and as your children grow, uh, they don't have the same type of needs that you provide for them when they're younger. So maybe your perspective changes. Maybe the prospect of them going out in the world soon kind of sobers you up a little bit. When they're younger, they're definitely under your wings and under your care. But as they get older and you begin to see them start to understand certain things that you never wanted to tell them when they were younger, either in in different shows or what people are saying in passing, uh, things that never really registered with them before and now start the, the wheels turning. And you begin to realize that the time is coming when your children are going to be off on their own and they're not going to be under your care anymore. And so it's a sobering thing uh, when you consider the age in which we live. I'm not entirely convinced that any parent that professes the name of the Lord has ever viewed the age in which they live and dwell uh, as an age that they feel comfortable with their kids going out into, right? Every generation has viewed the world with the eyes of uh, concern for their children. They don't want their children pursuing the things of the world. Every age and generation has had uh, a sinful age and generation to deal with. The moment you begin to think that it's worse in our day, although it may be, But the moment you begin to think that it's worse in our day, you begin to downplay how bad other generations have been in in our past. And not just the the past of the church, but the past even in our own nations. Most people think that the generation that went through the Great Awakening was Christian right from the word go. And you read in Dalimore's biography of the life of Whitfield that the colonies were anything but Christian. 
in their manners, manners and mannerisms and way of life. Uh, and he gives many examples of the corruption that was in the colonies. And so we often think that because of the effect of the Great Awakening that somehow this nation or Canada or the United States, that, that they started out godly right from the word go. There have been times where the Lord has moved in amazing revivings and stirrings that has affected the community and affected the generation. But I think every parent has that awareness of the corruption that is prevalent in their society. And so every parent has this concern. What is the path forward for our children? And so I thought of this passage specifically because Paul deals a little bit with Timothy and he knew Timothy from a child, and he knew the way in which he was raised. And I think Paul gives a, a bit of a, a way forward uh, for children that are either under our care or those that we pray for uh, concerning the, the corruption that's in our day. So I want to consider a few things first before we actually get into the path forward. And that has to do with the immediate context of the the passage that we're considering. Right from the beginning of the chapter, Paul warns Timothy that in the last days, perilous times will come. That's how the passage begins. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now, he's giving a warning to Timothy. Okay, He's speaking directly to Timothy. At the end of the passage, in, in, at the end of the text, in our, in our text, he's speaking directly to him. That from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. So he's, he's speaking to Timothy. So the fact that he is saying to Timothy and warning Timothy that perilous times will come obviously implies that Timothy is going to experience these perilous times. Otherwise it makes no sense that Paul would be warning Timothy about these times that are coming. But it helps us to know two things before we get into the text just from verse 1. The first thing is what is meant by the last days. What is meant by the last days? And like I said, obviously, the fact that he's giving the warning to Timothy means that Timothy was in the last days. And you'll find that there are references that show that the last days started really in, during the time of Christ. But specifically, I think the last days started uh, on the day of Pentecost. And the reason why I say that is in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, on the day of Pentecost... Uh, Peter was preaching to the, to the Jews that were there, and he quoted the, the prophet Joel, and, then, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Right. So he's quoting Joel, and he's saying that this is what Joel prophesied would come. And so if Joel said that this would happen in the last days, and Peter says what you're witnessing is what he prophesied then, obviously, in Peter's day, you can at least say from the day of Pentecost on, uh, the last days had already begun. Uh, the Apostle Paul mentions in Hebrews chapter 1, the very beginning of the book, in verse 2, he says, "...hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son." God spoke uh, before by the prophets, now in these last days hath spoken unto us by his Son. So I, I suppose in a certain sense you could 
include the entire New Testament age as being the last days. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 3, Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and ye shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Here it's talking about further down, the judgment, the last days. So it includes not just the day of Pentecost or the days the, the new, early New Testament days, but it also includes the, the last of the last days. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Uh, we see that today. It wasn't just in Peter's day, but we see it today. So I think it's safe to say that when Paul tells Timothy that in, that in the last days perilous times shall come, it included the days that he was living in, but it also includes what we're living in as well as the days to come. The entire New Testament period. And so that's what Paul means when he uses the term uh, last days. But then the other thing we need to understand is what is meant by perilous times. In the last days, this extended period, uh, there are perilous times. The understanding is that they would kind of come on a a frequent basis. It's not straight through perilous, but there are going to be specific times where the times are perilous. And so we need to ask ourselves, what does he mean by that, by perilous? Well, the New Testament doesn't give us much help because the word perilous is only found one other time in the New Testament. But I think the use of that word helps us to understand a little bit of what Paul means when he uses this word perilous. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass that way. Exceeding fierce. That's the word for perilous. So that's the understanding. Perilous, exceeding fierce. Um, You might also say aggressive, violent, right? That's included in exceeding fierce. They were fierce, and that included violence because no man wanted to go that way because of the damage, the, the, the pain, the attack that would be inflicted. Uh, you could also include unlawful, right? Other times where we read of demon-possessed people, they tried to bind them with chains, couldn't even bind them. They, they operated outside the law. No one could bring any restraint on these men. All these ideas are brought into this word for perilous. And so we're in the last days, and there come times in the experience of those that walk with the Lord, these aggressive, violent, unlawful days, uh, days where not even the law can be administered properly. And there are are times in the experience of God's people Uh, You can go through church history. There are times like uh, when Calvin was in Geneva where it was almost heaven on earth. And then there are other times during the the days of the Covenanters where they were losing their heads for the sake of Christ. And, And so you find this pattern, not just in the New Testament, but also in church history. Different times where the the world is perilous. I'm not gonna go through our society today and try to argue whether or not we're in one of those perilous times. But when you see 
the type of behavior that we see, an utter disregard for law, bizarre stuff, right? People can just walk into stores and pick stuff up and walk right out knowing full well that everyone sees what they're doing and there's no power, there's no authority that can bring any kind of judgment uh, upon them. The law is just set aside. People functioning outside the law, look at the violence, look at the aggressive uh, hatred toward anyone that even, even remotely tries to take any kind of a position that brings the actions of those in power into focus. Uh, whether or not we are in one of those perilous times, I think we can say we live in a time where many of these uh, same words can be used to describe uh, what we're living in today. And so Paul goes on at the end of this chapter to deal with Timothy and, and say that things were not like that with Timothy, that things were different with Timothy, that from a child things were different. And so even in the midst of perilous times, even in the midst of violent days, I still believe that there is a divine path forward for the next generation. Because the older you get, you're not really concerned about your generation anymore. There, 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 comes, a, there comes a time where you shift from being concerned about whether or not you can provide for your family to the point of being more concerned about your family as they go out and try to raise their family. It's a shift. It's, it, I'm, not, I'm, at, I'm at a point now where I'm not, I'm not concerned about whether, if, if worse came to worst, my sons are old enough, they can go work and provide for themselves if they needed to, right? So you, you get to a point where you're not as concerned about the tangible things uh, of raising them and providing for them. You're more concerned about the, the wickedness and the sinfulness and the corruption that is in the world as they go out into the world. And so I say I was burdened with this passage to kind of give a, an exhortation to the parents, to those that were there, uh, how to pray and how to be burdened for the path forward for our children in an, evil day, in an evil day. So I want to just focus on verses 14 and 15 and uh, consider a few things tonight as we uh, finish the Lord's Day this evening. First of all, the path forward begins with proper instruction. And this never changes. It doesn't really matter whether you lived in Paul's day or lived in Calvin's day or live in our day today. It doesn't really matter whether you're living in a day of revival or a day of persecution. The path forward for the parents to see for their children always begins with proper instruction. And what is that proper instruction? In verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. That from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Uh, the word for child here, uh, it's, it's an interesting word in the New Testament. Two references in the early part of the Gospel of Luke help give an understanding of what Paul means when he uses this word child. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, and then later in verse 44, it says, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And then she says in verse 44, For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped 
in my womb for joy. Uh, just in passing, and this is one thing that struck me when I was preparing this message a while back, the same word that is used to describe Timothy when he was being raised by his mother under the influence of the Scripture is the same exact word that describes a baby that hasn't even been born yet in the womb. And how anyone can profess to be a Christian, and obviously we know when people say they're Christians, they most of them don't have the foggiest idea of what it means to be saved, but we live in countries where a, a, a large portion of the people who say they're Christians see nothing wrong with abortion. And you come to a passage like this, and it's impossible, it's impossible to, to come away from a passage like this and say that the baby in the womb is nothing less than a, than a child. The New Testament didn't have another word to describe a baby in the womb. Because common sense tells you that a baby in the womb, one day later that baby's born, it's the, it's the same child. So let us never forget, even the New Testament use of the word describes someone in their early years and someone in the womb as being the same word. It's the, there is no different word. We, don't, we, 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 we say fetus to justify the murder of our children. But the scripture says, babe, child, right? Same word. You could go to that passage in Luke 1 and, and, and insert that, that Elizabeth heard. As soon as she heard the salutation of Mary, the child leaped in her womb. You have every right to do that because that's how it's translated in, in our passage from a child that was learned, known the Holy Scriptures. And then in Luke chapter 2, the angel said, this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So the word is used to describe a child before they're born, a child as soon as they're born, and then a child in their early years. There's no difference. There's no difference. And so Paul uses it to describe some child that's in his early years uh, when he could be instructed and be taught. But I think when we're dealing with instructing children from the scriptures, you cannot begin early enough. You can't begin early enough. And I believe that we limit the working of the Holy Ghost in the salvation of our children by not having them under the instruction of the scriptures, whether it's Sunday school or teaching or preaching. I'm a big supporter of having the children in under the preaching from the moment they're born if, if, the, if, if, if the Lord himself says in John chapter 3, concerning the work of the Spirit, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Who am I to say that a child can't be saved in their infancy days while they sit under the preaching of the word? Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, obviously, most of the time that's applied to those that can rationally understand the preaching and understand the gospel. The mind is opened by the Spirit of God, and they come to Christ. But I don't want to limit the working of the Spirit of God. There's no greater blessing, no greater blessing, that a child can, can enjoy and that a child can partake of than being under the preaching of the word. 
Turn, turn to Romans chapter 3. Turn to Romans chapter 3. This is I want, something I want you to see here. Because I, I'm not... <clears throat> I know the issue of, of, of covenant children, whether your children are in the covenant or not, is an issue in the free church, whether, you know, whether you're a paedo-baptist or a credo-baptist. Uh, I come... I'm, I was converted out of a, a Roman Catholic background, but um, I came into the free church from a, a Reformed Baptist background. So I'm not a paedo-baptist. I don't believe that simply because a child is born to me that that child is part of the covenant. I believe a, a work of grace has to be done. And when that work of grace is done and that child makes a profession of faith, then that child pursues after and, and, and seeks after the Lord uh, and begins to serve the Lord, and, and that starts with baptism. So I'm not, I'm not a, 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 I don't see paedo-baptism in the scriptures. The problem is most people that reject paedo-baptism don't understand that even though your child may not be, as the paedo-baptists would say, in the covenant, it's impossible to deny that there are covenant blessings upon your children. In, in Romans chapter 3, Paul just gets done in Romans chapter 2 showing that the Jew is just like the Gentile, that they're all under sin. He pretty much lumps everyone together, which then leads to the question that begins chapter 3, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? If you want to say it this way, well then what advantage does the person have that is part of the covenant or that, that runs in the circles of those that have the covenant blessings. Is there any benefit at all? If, if the Jew is just as condemned as the Gentile, what advantage is there to be a Jew? What does Paul say? Much every way, chiefly, the number one advantage and benefit that a Jew has, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Paul says the Jew has every advantage. And on the top of the list is that they have the word of God. If you raise a child in a heathen land, that child knows nothing of the way of God for salvation. Knows nothing of the gospel. Knows nothing of, of the Ten Commandments, God's standard, that are a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, to show us our need for the Savior. They don't know any of that because they don't have the scriptures. And Paul says, even though the Jew is just as condemned as the Gentiles, they have an advantage because, because that unto them have been committed the oracles of God. And I would say that what Paul said about the Jew can be said about our children. What advantage is it then that the child is in the house of the Lord if they're not part of the covenant, if they're, if they're not saved? Well, every advantage, the primary advantage that our children have is that they're under the word of God. And that is the primary means that the Spirit of God uses for the conversion of souls. What advantage, what an advantage, what a, what a blessing that our children every Lord's Day get to sit under the preaching of the word when millions, millions of children around them don't have the foggiest idea that God sent Christ into the world to redeem his people. And our children get to hear it. And they get to hear it every Sunday. And they get to sit under the means of grace. That's what Timothy enjoyed. After Paul deals with the false prophets and these wicked men and these ungodly men, 
He says that we are considered, we are, we, we, we are convinced of better things of you. You're not like these evil men and, and, and these seducers, waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And he says, but continue thou in the things where thou hast learned. He was instructed from the word of God. And so the way forward begins with proper instruction. It begins with proper instruction in the home. There's no better place for us to bring our children after we instruct them and and are are getting the scriptures into them than to bring them to the house of the Lord. You also have uh, parental instruction, but also pastoral instruction. It isn't just what we instruct them when we're at home, but the, the benefit and blessing of being raised in a place of discipline, of correction, instruction in righteousness. Remember, Paul says that the man of God uh, will be able to equip the servants of the Lord to be perfect, truly furnished unto all good work, to have pastoral instruction as well. And that's why it's so important, right, to, to pray that the Lord gives you the right, the right pastor. The right pastor is essential uh, in the, the training of our children. So as you pray for a pastor, pray that the Lord would give you a man who understands his role, that he just doesn't preach to the elders, or he doesn't just preach to the deacons. He preaches to the laymen. He preaches to women. He preaches to children. The word given should be profitable for all that are under the word including the children and from the earliest age. Now, I, I, you have to be aware that with children, there come distractions. A lot of the, the issues that you run into in the house of the Lord with noise from children, unfortunately, I think it is, is an indication that maybe they get away with too much at, the, at, at home. If they can't sit still during the preaching of the word, then they probably can't sit still, period. And so there needs to be training and instruction in the home when you bring your children to sit them under the preaching of the word, yes, we desire that they be under the word, uh, that the word of God would have free course in their hearts as well. But we also understand that the servant of the Lord has been praying, seeking the Lord all week for a word to give to the congregation. And, and the spirit of God directs him in the scriptures to the proper word, to the proper place with the proper application And that's how God uses the preaching of the word for the edification and the building up of his people. If you're bringing your child into a congregation and that child is creating such a racket that no one can even focus upon the preaching of the word, you got to understand that there's a problem there. That this is the primary place where God's people are instructed. And I personally think it's the ultimate insult to the minister himself when Children can't be controlled within the congregation. So I'm, I'm a big fan. I, I'm a big supporter that from the earliest days, those children need to be under the preaching of the word. But you also have to use wisdom. It's not just your children that are hearing the preaching, but God's people come to the Lord's house having sought the Lord as well for a word. And we desire to be shown Christ. And so there needs to be wisdom as well uh, in the pastoral instruction with regard to proper Instruction. So the path begins with proper instruction. Paul says that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. But then it continues with personal duty. Personal duty. But continue thou 
in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of. It isn't just that from a child he learned and knew the Holy Scriptures where the ministry of his mother and his grandmother were in focus, but he also now that he's of age places the responsibility on him. It's not enough, Timothy, that you've been instructed and trained in the Scriptures, but now you have to continue in the things wherein thou hast learned. And this is the burden that Christian parents have for their children. We can instruct, we can teach, we can show the way forward, but there comes a time where we have to say with Paul to Timothy, continue thou in the things wherein thou hast learned. And and Paul knew all too well, he knew all too well of those that started well and walked away from the faith, right? Even now they're young men. You can think back of some of the, some of the kings. I remember S.B. Cook came to preach to us years ago, back when I was in seminary, which is, oof, that's years ago, over 20 years ago now. But um, he came to preach on one Sunday evening, and he was preaching from the life of King Asa. And he, S.B. Cook never preaches more than 30 minutes. Never, I don't even know if he's still preaching. He's got to be pretty old by now, but... Um, He never preached for more than 30 minutes, but he trimmed out all the fat. Everything that came out of that man's mouth was solid, solid meat, the meat of the word. And he's preaching on the life of King Asa. And after he opens in prayer and begins preaching, he looks at the congregation and says, having begun well is no guarantee that we shall finish well. And he just paused. And 23, 24 years later, you can, I, I can't remember very many messages. I can remember that message because of the, the power of that opening line. It, it can be applied in so many ways in life, but especially in spiritual things. And it was true of King Asa. He was the one who became lame in both his feet and he sought to the physici- physicians and not to the Lord. And he applied that to Asa. Having begun well, there's no guarantee that we shall finish well. Paul is giving that same warning to Timothy. And that's the same exhortation we need to give to our children and to our children's children going forward. It's not enough that your parents know the Lord. It's not enough that you've been instructed in righteousness. But there comes a time where those children need to continue in the things wherein they had learned. I say Paul knew all too well of what it was for young men to walk away from the faith. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. I actually didn't have this written in my notes. I'm using the cross-reference here, so hopefully this is the verse that I'm thinking it is. Otherwise, I could be going down a dead end real fast. But Colossians chapter 4, I was pretty sure it was Colossians. Yeah, it's uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Right? Luke went with Paul. He's the one that wrote the book of Acts. There are times in the book of Acts, several chapters, where the author, he shifts from talking about Paul to we, and then back to Paul. Okay, so he uses the we in those passages to say that he was with Paul 
That's why we believe that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and then wrote the book of Acts, because Luke was with Paul in his, one of his missionary journeys. And, and Paul knew that the Colossians knew Luke. Luke had ministered among them. So in giving his exhortations and his greetings from people, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. You can read in other places of Demas as well. But then look in this same book, 2 Timothy chapter 3, only a few verses after what he's saying to Timothy. You almost wonder if writing... These words of exhortation to Timothy, he had Demas in mind. Because in verse 9 we read, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So Luke was still with him. And the other men, they departed from Paul. They, They didn't depart the same way that Demas did. They were involved in other ministries. Crescens went to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. But Demas, he departed from Paul, but it wasn't for the ministry. Oh, he was involved in the ministry. If you want to say he began well, but he didn't finish well. He not only didn't finish well in the ministry, he walked away from the Lord entirely because he loved the present world. And you can almost sense that Paul is feeling that at the end of his life, the end of his ministry. This is the last book that he wrote. The time of his departure is at hand. He knew that his days were numbered. And one of the things that was weighing heavily on him was the fact that Demas forsook him, having loved this present world. How painful that must have been to Paul in considering someone that labored with him in the gospel ministry, in the gospel ministry, to turn his back, not only upon Paul, but upon Christ as well. So he turns to Timothy and he says, it's not enough, Timothy, that you've been instructed in the faith. It's not enough that you know the gospel. Continue thou in the things wherein thou hast learned. Personal duty. There is a responsibility, a personal responsibility in the Christian life to to walk with the Lord. There's a personal responsibility that we have. I can clearly remember um, one of the daughters of one of our ministers. And uh, to this day, uh, this one, he's not in the ministry anymore, but uh, good brother in the Lord. I love him dearly. One of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet in the ministry for 20 plus years, all the years that his children were being raised in the home. Uh, they all made profession of faith. And we spent, my brother and I spent weekends with them sometimes. And uh, went and did things with the family and then stayed for the, for the Lord's Day and always had good fellowship with them. But one of their youngest daughters, not the youngest, second youngest daughter, uh, was uh, one of the most beautiful little children that you would, I mean, just a, a cute, respectful, beautiful little girl. And I remember sitting at the table with the family, minister, minister's wife, and their daughter, and minister's wife said, uh, tell Mr. Barnes what your verse is. I don't even know if she was two years old, three years old. Favors deceitful and beauty is vain, but the woman, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. I was like, man, that's, that's awesome, isn't it? When you have a little girl that can hardly talk, but she's got the scriptures memorized, right? She was, as a, from a child, 
she had known the holy scriptures which are able to make her wise to salvation completely turned her back upon the things of the lord when she got older left the home living in sin sought after actually sought after a guy that she knew was married broke up his family guy had kids just because that's the guy she wanted is involved in some kind of far eastern weird i don't know whatever kind of zen thing that she's doing complete complete atheist wants nothing to do with the lord another one of our ministers child walked away now professes to be an atheist atheist and this girl was instructed in righteousness this girl was instructed professes now that there's not even a god doesn't matter it doesn't matter that you're instructed in righteousness if you do not continue in the things wherein thou hast learned so that is the burden is it not we have a responsibility as parents but our real our real burden for our children and for our grandchildren is after our responsibility is over that our children continue when when they have to take the reins that's when you can tell. That's when you can see if the work of grace is legitimate. And so it isn't just uh, the path beginning with proper instruction, but it, it continues with personal duty. And that's, we need to pray for our children for the next generation that they continue in the things wherein they've learned. And then the last thing that we see from the passage is that it ends with fulfillment of the promises which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We desire to see our children go on with the Lord, but ultimately our responsibility is to get them under the preaching of the word and pray that the Lord will use his word to the conversion of their souls, the fulfillment of the promise, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. The older I get, the more I'm convinced the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters that, that a, a parent desires, a Christian parent desires for their children is that they're saved. I've seen, I've seen too many Christian families that finances were more of a concern, um, going to the right school, playing sports. Oh man, have I seen Christian families where that's a priority. It's a priority. To the point that they would just as soon have their kids skip the Lord's Day if their team is playing somewhere on a Sunday. And they profess faith in the Lord. And where is the priority? Where is the ultimate priority? None of that matters. The only thing that matters to a parent that is walking with the Lord is that their children are saved. That they're in Christ. And that, that is ultimately the burden that we should have concerning the next generation we look at a denomination that needs to see a move of god among the next generation now every generation has known times where the lord meets with those people and you think back in the days of samuel right there was no vision right the lord was silent and yet the Lord broke through and spoke to Samuel and raised up Samuel during a time where the Lord didn't give a word. It was silent. The Lord began a work in, in, a, in, a, in a generation that the parents had failed utterly. Even the high priest, right? 
Eli, complete failure with regard to his children. They were sons of Belial. And yet in the midst of that corruption and failure, the Lord raises up a Samuel, speaks directly to him. And, and, and we've known those times where we've heard the voice of the Lord speak, where the Lord has come down, maybe few, not very many times, but we've known times where our hearts have been revived and we've known the Lord speak directly to us. That's what we need to see in our generation. Our generation, these children being raised, that the Lord speaks directly to them. I don't want the Lord to speak to them through me, as it were. I want the Lord to speak. I want them to know it's the Lord speaking to them, not their Father speaking to them. I want them to wrestle with the Lord the way Jacob wrestled. Jacob knew things about the Lord from his father, but it wasn't until Peniel, when the Lord wrestled with Jacob and touched him in his, in his thigh, and his walk was never the same, that you see a change in the life of Jacob. There was a personal interaction with the Lord, a touch from heaven that changed his walk for the remainder of his days. That's what we need to pray for our children, that they have a face-to-face -face encounter with the Lord and that their walk is never the same. There are times in my life where I can clearly say that the Lord came down and spoke directly to me and those that were with him. The one year at camp, I always refer to this, uh, it was unlike anything I had ever experienced where the Lord came down during the preaching of the word you could tell that there was something unique. Right from the word go at camp this one night, John Greer was preaching. And I may have even told you this story, but there was a, there was a time every evening at this camp, because it was near the water, almost as soon as the minister would start to preach, this flock of birds would fly over the camp chapel and the only way that you had any air movement in this chapel was if the, the side windows were open, gigantic screen windows, right? So all the noise from the lake and the pond was, was, was clearly heard. And these birds would come by, and it seemed as if these birds would come down just as the minister was preaching. And this happened Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday. Well, the final night that the camp was having preaching meetings was Thursday night, because Friday night was testimony time, and then Saturday we left. And so John Greer was preaching in his opening prayer. I've never heard anything like this. I, he, he prayed that the Lord would silence the mouth of those birds. You ever heard anything like that in, the, in, the, in a service where you know those birds are coming? They come every night, same time. And the man of God calls up a prayer to the Lord that he silences the mouth of those birds. You know, when he started preaching, there was not one peep coming from that lake. And this was an unbelievable racket every night to the point you couldn't hear. And it lasted about five or 10 minutes, but you couldn't hear what the preacher was saying. And right from the outset of this meeting, you knew there was something different about this meeting, that the Lord was there, that here was a man of God who was calling down divine intervention. Never heard anything like it. He preached a message from the Passover, uh, and the blood shall be for you a token. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And he, uh, he said that young people are always asking for a sign. Right? 
If only God would show me a sign, I would believe. The word in that verse for token is the Hebrew word for sign. So you can read it like this. The blood shall be for you a sign. You say, God's given you the sign. It's the blood of Christ. And that, that congregation, I had never been in a congregation of God's people where the sense of the presence of the Lord was so real. And, and people that were there that night, we still talk about it. We still talk about it. Because as he was finishing his message, he was throwing everything into this message. He was, I remember he had a short sleeve shirt on. His, his, his sleeve was dripping sweat as he was preaching. That's how intense he was with this word that the Lord had given him. I remember sitting in the front row and I said, I don't care what everyone else does. I am not moving from this seat when the preaching is over because the Lord is here. I am, I am not moving. And when he got done preaching and he walked out, no one moved in that whole entire camp setting. 110 campers, staff, you heard brokenness, you heard children weeping. I had never been, but I knew that the Lord was there. And then to know that everyone else in that service knew that the Lord was there. Something unique. When the Lord comes down like that, you don't have to wonder whether or not God is here. There is such an overwhelming sense of His presence that everyone in that meeting knows, we're not going to the snack shop after this. We're not going to be drinking root beer floats and playing ping pong. God's here and it's time to do business with the Lord no one moved. John Greer came back in to the service. Like I said, I'd never been part of a service like this before. And he said, brethren, I think we need to, to seek the Lord and have a time of prayer. And we had a prayer meeting right after the, the, the preaching. And then everyone went back to their cabin and sought the Lord as a cabin, in their cabins. That's the kind of breakthrough that we need to see that will enable our children to, children to continue in the things wherein they had learned and had been instructed, where the presence of the Lord is real for them, not just that he's the God of their parents. Oh, it's, it's, there's nothing more encouraging to the heart of a parent than to know that their children are continuing in the things wherein they've been instructed. It's, it's the greatest joy when you see your, your kids talking about the things of the Lord or your kids talking to you, coming to you, talking about the preaching and the encouragement that they got from the scriptures. That's uh, it's the, greatest, it's the greatest joy that the heart of a, a, a Christian parent can know. So we need to pray for our denomination, for our families, whether you have children in the home or grandchildren, Pray that the word would have free course. Get them under the preaching. Get them under the teaching of the word of God. But pray specifically that the Lord would raise up a generation from our denomination that would continue in the things that they've been instructed in. And that the world would be turned upside down. I believe that you get a band of men especially whose hearts God had touched. And they can, they can, they can change things through the preaching of the word of God. Nations have been changed through one generation of men that have been raised up by the Lord to preach the gospel. Nations have been changed. So that's what we need to pray for. The way forward for our children, I trust that the Lord will take this word and write it upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's pray.
Our Father, we're thankful tonight that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We're thankful that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Lord, we pray for our children. We pray for our grandchildren. We pray for our nieces, nephews, those that are under the preaching of the Word or that aren't under the preaching. Lord, we pray that, that the Word would, would be able to, to be presented to them. Lord, get them under the Word. Get them under the, the means of grace and lead them to Christ. And Father, we pray that they would continue in the things that they've been instructed in. Oh, Father, pray for our denomination. Save us, Lord, from, from pride. Save us, Lord, from, from self exaltation as if we actually have something to give as if we are something in the work of the Lord keep us Lord on the lowest rung that Christ would be exalted raise up a band of young men who continue in the things that they've been instructed in and and learned and father we pray that that the work of Christ would continue through the efforts even of our own children Lord we look to thee this is a work of thine We pray that thou wilt do it for Jesus' sake. So, Lord, take thy word and write it upon our hearts tonight for Jesus' sake. Amen. We'll finish the service tonight by singing the hymn that we were supposed to sing this morning. (laughs) That was my bad. I uh, didn't have my glasses on this morning when I was reading the hymn. So, hymn 357, 